Today, coming back at you like Cleopatra, it's Friday, and it's Don's Pinball Podcast, episode number 81, and I got an action-packed, fun episode. This is a special one that's coming for everybody. First off, I figured it was time to review Stern Pinball's Venom, the latest release that they have, well, until we get a blood red kiss, right? Following that, I also have an interview that's going to drop with Mr. Michael Barnard. He is a uh, Stern artist that worked on the Rush Pinball Machine. Uh, we got a whole interview to get into the all the nuance of creating pinball art and what that process is like. It is hype. It's going to be awesome. So once you get in here, settle in and listen to my dulcet tones. Let's bring it in here, buddy. Boom. Let's just, I, I figured today was the time that I should just talk about Venom Pinball. Let's do an actual review of it. Not a first impressions, not a reaction video, but like I've put uh, 200 games through this thing sitting behind me. You know, so what am I thinking? The short of it is this game's actually grown on me a bit. Now I've got a Venom Premium. Okay. So this review will be based on Venom Premium, the pro. You can miss me with that. You know, so, you know, as I've been playing this game, you know, it's it's the one that's got the, you know, you log in, you, you level up your character, and then as you go through the different modes, the modes are easier the higher level you are. The higher level you are, the longer it took to get there, and, you know, the longer your total game global playtime will be until you beat the final boss, right? Um, you know, it's still missing some things in the code, like, there's not really, like, any kind of, like, true wizard mode, it's really just kind of build up to the null. And I think that will come in time. So, you know, I just kind of want to do this review more talking about, you know, the features of the layout and how I feel about them. And I want to talk about the doppelganger mech. You know, this is the guy that swings off in that little spring-loaded swing arm, and he's got his dangly bits underneath. And, you know, I, I, I've i been having fun with that little character, okay? I, I, I do enjoy it. So here's the thing. I was uh, I had the glass off because uh, I just did all the powder coat, put the armor back on and everything. And as I was testing it, I was thinking, you know, I never really uh, you know played around with this very much and really understood the nuance of what exactly is going on with the doppelganger. Uh, as you hit the stand-up targets, you you know you clear enough of them, and then he swings out, and then you've got a limited amount of time to hit his little dangly targets. There's three light-up inserts underneath each of the three dangles. Um, you know, the first time he comes out, you just have to hit one of them, and then you complete it. And then you go around and hit stand-up targets. He pops out again. Uh, then there's like two to hit, and then the third time, it seems like it randomly jumps around. You know, and you have to you hit them all. But then what happens when all three of them hit? So I just sat there and I just mashed with my fingers on the stand-up targets until he flipped out. I dangled his danglies with my fingers, did that three times, filled them up, and then this insert lit on the scoop. And then that started this rampage mode, which I hadn't even got into before. Uh, really kind of a fun mode. Uh, all the shots light up blue, and you have a limited amount of time to hit a bunch of these shots to build up a score multiplier or a score value. And then you go into this rampage mode where doppelganger's out. It's kind of just like open rain on him. Every insert's lit on him. Just hit his dangles as many times as you can for this period of time, and you'll be awarded however many points you built that, you know, point value up to um you know so that was kind of fun i noticed uh you know once he flipped out and we were in that final mode i just started you know playing with the glass off with the flippers you know throwing balls up there and then realized that i had about two billion points <laughs> so uh, i wasn't logged in so it didn't like you know affect my 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 insider connected score or anything i went ahead and canceled out of that game so it didn't register as a high score or anything but that was that was fun that was the first time i had done that was just you know cheating with my fingers uh, and then later on, like two games later, I, I'm not kidding at all. I actually legitimately got to that mode like on my own glass on, no cheating. <laughs> so that was a pretty amazing. I put up a half Billy score. It was fun. It was fun. Um, 
what had happened is I actually ended up stacking, and I'll go into this now. I ended up stacking the uh, the the Mayhem multiball. This is the one that you can build up. It starts automatically at uh, at a multiball of two, or you can cancel out with the action button and keep locking balls all the way up to six. So I had got it up to four. I thought, four is enough. Let's go ahead and play that. And then uh, one thing I like about this is as you're playing, you, you, you hit that Carnage captive ball, and then you can hit the center ramp to start a Carnage multiball. Well, as I was in the Mayhem multiball, I also started the Carnage multiball. They stacked, and then you know Doppelganger kept flipping out. And then with all these balls running around, I mean, you can't hit any shots when there's four or five balls in the play field because there's just it's Mayhem. But you can hit stand-up targets pretty well. So that's how I was able to get through and get the Doppelganger up. And then hitting his danglies wasn't a problem with balls everywhere. Uh, tons of balls, tons of danglies, no fingers were needed. Um, and then actually got to the, the Mayhem modes that was fun it was fun so so i'm enjoying that um i i love the aspect of uh, the four characters actually being somewhat meaningful as far as changing the layout of, of the game um now that i've played it a lot i've got 200 games through this like i can appreciate that nuance now uh gwen for sure for me is the easiest character to play with and the reason is because that uh, center tilting ramp um, is in the open position so in that case the horseshoe plays like a true horseshoe just like the pro does um, the nice thing about that is if you don't get a, a shot that's perfectly on, um, that's going to you know can do the whole horseshoe, it registers just by crossing that opto at the front. So even a weak shot that just approaches and then rolls away will trigger that. And that is one of the ways that you finish her, her mini modes. It's also, if you select uh, the skill shot at the beginning to you know light a mini mode on that hurry up, that's an easy way to get it. You can actually kind of hit it both ways. If you hit the, the horseshoe backwards, the pin will sometimes pop up, the ball will bounce back, the pin drops, and then as it crosses the opto, it'll trigger it that way. Uh, so if you want to get in and get used to playing this game, uh, maybe start with Gwen, and uh, you know that'll be a way that you can actually you know, get the modes a little easier and kind of get through the game faster. You know, so that was fun. Um, you know, I, I do like the little flap on the right too. Uh, that that you know changes the direction that the ball goes. Uh, that's that second shot from the right, not the orbit, but the one next to it. You know, that that's fun, and and none of that is on the pro. And so I don't even know like how you really even do a doppelganger mode on the pro because there's no physical mechanism at all. There's not even a character or a plastic. Um, I actually just have to shoot you know lit inserts. It just becomes an insert hunt. So my first impressions from this game. Uh, where that it was essentially, you know, light up inserts, everything's at the back of the play field. This could have been a P3 module, what the heck. As I've been playing it, and I learn where the shots are on the flippers, and I understand the rules now, um, you know, it's fun for me. It's a fun game to to come down and put like four or five games through, you know? Because uh, sometimes you're playing for points to try to level up. Sometimes you're playing to try to get through those boss battles. So... I think Venom is really, uh, you know, kind of warmed up to me. I mean, it's only two flippers. All the shots are in the back. But at least on the premium and LE, um, the extra mechanisms and the extra little modes, the the the, the multi-ball modes, the mayhem mode, uh, there's a toxic team-up. I'm still not sure exactly how I trigger that. It just shows up if I'm playing well. Um, and then, you know, it's fun to play through the bosses. Uh, you know, I'm getting through Grendel easier now. I've beaten Null three times. I've, I've unlocked the extra characters. Um, one thing, when you do get to the extra characters, if anybody hasn't played them, uh, instead of doing three mini modes to get to a button boss or a next level, you actually play six. And when you do that, you've, you've finished, uh, you know, two, uh, parallel columns on that insert grid. And then, the, there's perks that are within there. So if you do pick the other characters, you know, they do have their own call outs and things. Um, it is a little bit harder cause you have to do six mini modes before you get to a boss. But when you do, you've unlocked those perks too. So it's almost like, you know, doing two characters at once. Uh, kind of fun. Add some more nuance to the game. The code's still not at 1.0. 
So, I mean, I was trying to think, like, do I want to do a letter grade? Do I want to do a number grade? I mean, letter grade, you know, this isn't Godzilla. It's not Iron Maiden. You know, it wouldn't be an S-tier game. I don't know if I would quite make the cutoff for A-tier game. It's a solid B-tier game. You know, it's a fun game for me right now. Um, I think I like this game a lot better at its level of development than I liked Bond. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good with, like, a, a higher B for Venom. Uh, I think it's a fun uh, release. Uh, if I was given a numerical score 0 through 10, I think, you know, 5.9, it's above average. You know, it's it's ahead of strange science. It's better than Bone Busters. You know, it's not medieval madness. So that's kind of where it falls in there. Um, you know, I like the music. I like the sounds. Uh, I like that the different characters have some nuance. And I like that there was unlockable characters. So, you know, kind of like, a, you know, a watershed game because of how the code is introduced in here. Um, where I see this game going forward, if there is this rumored, uh, you know, Venom version of Ghost Rider that's going to be in the game, maybe unlocked with a topper, maybe not. Um, you know, I would like to see uh, callouts from Null. I mean, you got this big bad boss who's not explained at all during the gameplay, and when you're playing him, he's completely mute and silent. Um, I think there there was like one callout I heard that I couldn't attribute to anybody else that maybe Null. Um, but I would like to have some, you know, taunting or something. Grendel, does Grendel talk at all, or is Grendel just a big monster? Um, you know, so I, I think there's room for, for more callouts. I think there's room for some more modes. Um, I don't know if there can be any kind of wizard mode. I would like to see some maybe hidden modes that unlock or something, or like a disco mode or something, something. So um, I think Venom might be a game that actually does have some legs later in the code. I mean, not too dissimilar from Bond. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Now, um, I've been having fun doing a lot of mods uh, with Venom. The first thing I thought of off the bat when I saw that tower with the bell, that it is a Taco Bell, right? So, you know, I talked to Mike Ford over at Flip Mods. Uh, we collaborated, and he graciously put my idea into reality. So I have a Taco Bell tower that's up there now. Um, I added a spinner to the game. I, I think it adds some kinetic satisfaction. It's not currently integrated into anything because I would have to do some plastic modifications to fit uh, a micro switch in there or an opto and then but it could easily be wired to something i just didn't want to make any permanent modifications um you know i've added a little doodads here and there you know i you know i like everybody else didn't like the exposed uh boards on the uh the fast lock system uh so uh, mike ford also made some uh some 3d printed uh, coverings that go over that so you know pick them up i think they're pretty cheap 15 bucks or you know design your own or something but you know fun little mod to put in there uh, the flipper toppers are in there I, I completed the whole uh, art package look on the inside i think that really brings the game together and i just got my illusion midnight powder coat powder coat speaker panel coin door side armor there's a shooter rod a mounting plate um the game is kicking and firing on all cylinders now and uh and and um you know Fun game. I was just thinking I didn't talk about the fast lock system. Um, I, I do like it. I, I've adjusted to it. It doesn't really uh, surprise me anymore. You know, at first I thought, you know, I like to watch balls roll down the wire forms. This one doesn't do that. It's a little bit quicker. How am I going to feel about that? I, I've adjusted to it just fine. Like, I don't find it missing on other games that don't have it, and it doesn't shock me as something strange on this one. It just kind of works with it. I will say one of the unintended sort of things that has happened, though, is it does cause the game to play a little bit slower, actually. Uh, so, you know, if you shoot a ramp and you're locking a ball or something, there's a little scene that plays out, um, you know, where you ball one locked, you know, and it shows a character or something. Or, um, you know, if, if you've locked two balls, it'll, it'll do the same animation, and then you can hit the button to cancel it. And as you're doing that, like, nothing's happening. You know, the ball is in the fast lock, but it's not shooting out. It's just waiting for this animation to finish. Um, you know, sometimes if you've hit a scoop or something, you've got an extra ball, there'll be another additional delay while you're waiting for this to play out. 
And I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, I, you know, this can play out. I don't need to be looking at the LCD screen. I, I'm like tapping my hand on the cabinet. Like, come on, ball. You're supposed to be a fast lock system. Let's speed it up, you know. So maybe that will be something that will be added in code. Um, another aspect, though, is, that is a minor frustration. But the Benny Mons work such that you hit the lit insert and then a, a flashing insert will light as a hurry up. You have to do that one to qualify that mini mode and complete it. Well, there's a timer on it because it's a hurry up. And it doesn't currently hold if the ball is stuck in a uh, in one of the fast locks while animation is playing out. So there's been you know frequently uh, you know I'll hit this thing a ball will lock it's got to play the the uh, you know, ball lock little video and everything or whatever it's going to do. All the time this is happening, the timer is counting down on the hurry up. So when you finally do get the ball back, you have one maybe time for two shots and then it's timed out and you have to go and start it again. A little gripe, you know, and I think it's something that could be fixed with code. You know, if you're stuck in the, the fast lock system waiting for an animation to play out, maybe just kind of extend that timer a little bit until the player actually gets control of the ball and can do something again. Um, you know, I think that would be fun. Or let me, you know, cancel out of it hitting the flipper buttons or something. Um, pass it on. So that's kind of where I'm coming down on Venom. Um, I've, I've had a lot of fun with this game. I've put 200 games on it. It's very thrilling to finish Null. It was a great sense of accomplishment to finally, you know, get the character. I, I think a game like this, playing it just coin drop without logging in is kind of fruitless, right? Um, you know, I've tried that a couple times now just to see what the average person would walk up and what their gameplay experience to this would be. And it kind of it kind of sucks a little bit. You know, you start off at level 1, and, you know, if you're playing a halfway decent game, you can get yourself to level 10, which is the minimum that you have to be in order to then go to the next level and actually beat one of these, or fight one of these bosses, right? Agony, Phage, Lasher, uh, you know, the little guys there. The problem is, you know, by the time you get up to level 10 for, you know, I'm an average player, maybe a little above average. I could drop catch, right? I know how to dead flip. Um, you know, but even I can get to like around level 10 if I'm having a halfway decent game, not blowing it up, but you know, not, not totally draining. I can get to level 10 and then start one of those things. Um, but by the time I do that, I'm on ball three and then, and, you know, I'm probably going to drain and not even make it that far. And if I do, here's the thing. If you get to level 10, you're playing well enough, you know, you, you leveled up, you unlock the boss, you did the mini modes, okay, and then you go into one of these battles, you're going to be severely underleveled at level 10. You know, it's going to take you, like, it's, it's frustrating. It seems like it's 10 shots to get through each of the two phases. And, you know, that seems a little overbearing. Um, but, yeah, you know, level up and it's easier, of course. But it's hard to do that over the course of just one gameplay. So I don't know what the solution to this is. I don't know, you know, if you log in, sure, it makes total sense that you're just going to get your butt handed to you until you level up. Um, but you're going to be able to continue where you left off as you go. But if you didn't log in and you're just a casual person, you know, putting your dollar in there and you're going to play a game on this, I, I kind of think they should, you know, maybe make it easier to level up if you're just playing a one-off game that you're not going to have a way to continue, just so you have a chance on getting through it. Otherwise, you really have to be on your game and, like, blowing this thing up to be able to get to, you know, level 40 or something to be able to actually blast through these bosses and things. So those are my thoughts on Venom. Um, it's a solid B game. Um, it, it's enjoyable. I'm glad I had it in my game room. Uh, it's part of the, uh, the 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 Stern 4 experiment that I started. The idea being, what if there was a way that I could just have a rotating brand new Stern game through my game room, you know, for the next year? You know, I figured they would release, you know, three, you know, maybe four games over a year. Uh, is there a way I can get the brand new hottest Stern game in? play it, and then when the next one comes out, sell the one I have and use those proceeds towards the purchase of the next one. 
and do it almost like a subscription model where like, you know, I'm almost kind of rent to owning the game, you know, it comes in, I play it, get that one off, get the next one in, you know, and then at least I could play through the next four games. And if I really like one, I could keep it or, you know, find it again later. Um, and so here's how it's going. I'm two games in now with Venom. Foo Fighters was the first one. Foo Fighters is still here, but I wasn't expecting Foo Fighters to be as fun as it was, so that's why it stuck around. Um, but now it's time to move on. I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to stick to the original plan that everybody said was not going to work. Um, and I'm going to get ready to sell Venom. I'm going to sell Foo Fighters, and I'm going to move on to whatever Stern has next. And then at the end of this experiment, I'll see kind of where I was at. Um, my hope was that maybe I would take a $500 loss on each game after having it for three or four months, maybe $2,000 averaged over a year, which comes out to around $200 a month to have the, the hottest, brandest, newest Stern game in your game room for a whole year. And I thought that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So we'll see how it's going. We're halfway through the experiment. What that means to you, dear listener, is I've got a tricked-out Venom here, fully powder-coated with a topper and all these mods and things that people have sent me and I've purchased uh, that are in there. It's covered in art blades. It's got a shooter rod. It's got everything you would want, shader, shaker, knocker. Um, the only thing you'd have to do is like a speaker upgrade if you want or some HD glass. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's all ready to go. And I'll have it available for you know a great price, probably right under MSRP. If you're interested, email me now. It's not even listed on Pinside yet, and we can make a deal. Um, we can do delivery. We can do local delivery. We could figure it out, and I'm reasonable. Give me a reasonable offer, and I'll probably accept it. So if you want to get yourself a Venom, it doesn't have to be a game you got to commit to 10 years of ownership. You know, but if you want to get it in and play it, especially now going forward into the next year, when a lot of these code updates will be coming out, when this topper is going to be coming out, um, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So your buddy Don will hook you up. So holler at me. All right, I'm very excited to get to this next part, right? Uh, i got Michael Bernard, artist for Stern. His first project was Rush Pinball, uh, which, as you know, I own the LE. Uh, fantastic game. Let's get into this interview. Um, I had a ton of questions on the process and everything, and we did get them answered. So here we go. Oh, man, coming to the podcast, I'm super excited to have Mike Barnard with us. He's the artist from a, a recent Stern release, I believe. Let's see, what was that? Hmm. Oh, right, he was the guy that did all the Rush art. Yeah, Mike, what's up, buddy? Hey, man, how's it going? Dude, that's fantastic, man. It's always a good day here at the District Don Arcade, world headquarters for podcast recording, and you're coming to us from the lovely greater Southern California region. So, man, you did a yeah. pinball project for Stern. That's amazing. I did. Yeah, it was a blast. It was a it was a huge deal to me. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's it's awesome seeing the the reactions to it. It's it's it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So me and you've been talking online. I just want to kind of you know pick your brain a little bit and see what the process is. Like, how does one get picked to do or even find out that pinball is a thing and they're still being manufactured and they need artists? Sure. Yeah. I I actually reached out to them. Um, I think I had reached out to them a few years prior to that. You know, never really heard anything back. And uh, the way that goes, it's, you know, it's, it's all about timing. I just, I happened to reach out to them. Somebody I was me- messaging with, talking to said, hey, you should, you know, reach out to Stern. You should do some pinball stuff. So I shot them an email and uh, they actually answered me back. I talked to Greg, the art director there at Stern. And uh, I just happened to reach out to them right when they were looking for artists to come on board for, you know, a big top secret new project. Of course, they don't tell you what it is. Sure. Uh, but I, I sent him a bunch of samples of my work and, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, he goes, you might be a good fit for this. Uh, for that project, they were doing what they call a test. I, I, don't, I don't think it's something they normally do, but it's where they, I, I guess it's sort of their way of maybe exploring new talent, finding some new people. Um, 
he said, if you're interested, uh, we can get you set up. Basically, you know, of course, he wouldn't, couldn't tell me what the project was, but he said, you know, you sign a non-disclosure, and then we'll tell you what the project is, and then you basically submit what you would do for this project if it were, you know, if it were given to you. Sure. And so I, from what I understood, they reached out to a handful of people, and uh, I said, you know, of course, this would be awesome. So they got the non-disclosure. I found out it was Rush. I was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. So I talked with Greg a little bit, and he, you know, he sent some some links to some stuff. He said, this is some of the imagery, you know, that we'll probably use. Here are some of the songs and videos and that kind of thing. And um, I put together, you know, a layout for a bat glass. It was my first pinball project I'd ever worked on. Um, and it was just it was just the bat glass. It was just like a you know one one solid horizontal piece of art. Um, he liked it, and he said, okay. Uh, maybe paint it, paint it up a little bit, kind of show us what some of the final art would look like, you know, just pick like a little area of the design and paint it up. And I work really fast. So once I jumped on it, I ended up just painting the entire thing. Oh, wow. And yeah. And, uh, I got, I had it done weeks early and, uh, he seemed to like it and he said, all right, we'll get back with you. And it was actually on my birthday in August of 2020. I got the phone call from him and he said, yeah, he goes, you're on if you want it. Now, now is this so, the kind of art that you typically do or was this a departure for you? I mean, do you do like concert or band art or posters or promotional I, stuff? I do. I do. I, uh, I've been doing a lot of work for rock bands for years, mostly, <laughs> mostly more of the, uh, like the hair band type of stuff I grew up with. Uh, you know, in the eighties, I do all the stuff, you know, I, I do stuff for Skid Row and Slaughter. I do all of Vince Neal from Motley Crue. I yes. do all his stuff. Okay. Kick, Cinderella, Firehouse, Steelheart, Def Leppard, I, all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've done stuff for like Fall Out Boy and, you know, other bands too, but, um, but as far as pinball goes, this was the first like game art I'd ever done. Now, are you like, um, are you kind of like a pinball arcade guy to begin with, or are you just kind of like aware that it exists? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I've always loved it. I, I, I don't really have any arcades around here, you know, th- that I've been to, but, um, I mean, I grew up loving that kind of stuff and I, there was just something all, about the art packages that just always appealed to me, you know, the backlit art and that kind of stuff. I just thought it would be, I think my style lends itself, you know, to that really well. So it yeah. was just something I wanted to kind of get on board with. I mean, basically, you know, these are things that are designed to be commercial machines. They're supposed to be eye-catching. And just like a concert poster you'd see on a wall, you know, you might walk by and see that cabinet art and say, oh, okay, now I, I need to connect with that theme and walk over there. And, you know, essentially sure. the, the back glass is just a big illuminated, you know, canvas back there, you know, to draw people in. So I could see, you know, how it can connect with, you know, other art that you may have already done, you know. Yeah, sure, yeah. And it's just something I always thought would be fun. And, uh you know, it, it was a blast working on it and kind of learning how all that stuff works, working with the team there, working with Greg, who's awesome. Uh, you know, those guys are next level. I, I mostly work with uh, T-shirt companies, you know, across the country. I've done toy packaging design. I've done, I work with Tops. you know, if you remember Garbage Pail Kids. And, oh, do I, sir? You know, all, all that, yeah, oh, yeah. So I've, I've worked on all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I, I try and, reach out and work on as many different things as I can, but you know, pop culture related type stuff is, is kind of my thing. So sure. Now, now um, for something like this, since it's not a completely original theme, I mean, you've got a ton of art to draw from already. You know, you've got all these album covers and posters that have already been done. 
So like, you know, what's the process for putting together like an art package, like say for the, the pro here, you know, where it's kind of like on the cabinet, it's a, it's a cartoon concert scene. You know, was that something that was uh, you know, taken from like a, a comic book that already existed or something? Do you have to redo all that de novo from scratch or can you borrow from what's already been made before by other artists? Um, well, we, we didn't really want to take something that was already done, but we wanted to, yeah, but yeah, to kind of borrow from it, to kind of play off of it as sort of a nod to something out there that Rush fans would pick up on. Um, yeah, in the beginning, we just kind of laid everything out. You know, we looked at all the different album covers. We, you know, went into some of the music videos, looked at some of the lyrics and just tried to pull imagery that we thought would appeal well, to Rush fans and, and look good up there on, you know, on the back glass and on the cabinets and stuff. So, um, I think in the beginning, you know, you kind of make a decision, like, do we want to do one with portraits? Do we want to do one, you know, obvi- the owl is just obvious, you know, the big blue owl, you know, that kind of stuff. So we just kind of threw some stuff out there. The, you know, the, the staircase, of course, mm-hmm. different things like that, that people would recognize that what we were referring to, but maybe kind of make it, make it our own, yeah. a different angle of it, different view of it. And, uh, that's kind of where we started with that. And then, but yeah, there was a comic book. We used that, you know, for the portraits and that kind of thing. Okay. I did see Uh, that mentioned before. Yeah. Like, and I was was kind of wondering, you know, like, you know, the pros got kind of, you know, that cartoon look, you know, with like, you know, bright spots of light. Um, You know, the premium has that uh, kind of satellite snow field with the, you know, big bright rush with the the kind of white tracing lights coming off of it. And then, of course, you got like the steampunk inspired LE. Now, were these just kind of three different concepts and that's where they ended up? And then at the end, they kind of like, you know, put them down like headshots, like this one should be for the pro. This one should be for the premium. This is an LE or... Do you design them from the beginning? Like, we know this is going to be the pro art, but we want to put, like, more time and effort into the higher tiers? Like, how does that process work? No, I don't think they really know right out of the gate. I think you just try and come up with three solid pieces. And then I I think as we're working on them, they kind of decide, you know, this would work better as the pro. This Let's do this one as the premium. You know, the, the steampunk stuff came to us pretty fast, so we carried that over onto the play field, and that was sort of like tying everything together so i think they kind of figured that was going to be the big you know oh, okay you know the heavy duty you know beautiful you know limited edition well let's do the steampunk with that one and then um yeah i'm not really sure how that process works i, I don't know if, I, I guess they just kind of sit there and lay them out and decide you know which one's which and then once we decide which one is going on which model then we design the cabinet around the rest of that to match that back glass and Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, because I didn't know, like, you know, are the back glasses just kind of off on the side separately? And, you know, or or do you try to tie kind of what you're coming up with for the back glass to that cabinet design and back box design, too? Um, Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of how how the each package is determined is basically just starting with the, you know, the back glass, you know, and then tying the cabinets into each one. Okay, so. All right, yeah. so before we get into the play field, though, I do want to say um, I had the LE of Rush, man. Love that machine. And one of the things that I really love about that LE trim level that Rush, or Rush, that Stern does uh, are like kind of like the foil embossments and things on the, the cabinet graphics. You know, they go a step above just a simple vinyl print, um, you know, the sure. gloss or whatever. Like, do you have input on like those finishes or does your art go to somebody else that does like a layout of how the foil is going to look or how, what a kind of texture embellishments they're going to do? Okay. At this point, I'm so new with them. I th- for me, it's just I just do the art, and then they okay. they kind of know that's their thing. And um, 
they'll kind of just tell me like, Hey, we're going to give this treatment to this and we're going to put a reflective piece over here. And we're, you know, like they're so good at that. They have that so dialed in. I, I don't know if maybe like Jeremy, you know, like zombie Yeti when he's doing it, he, I have a feeling he's probably more, you know, like, Hey, we should do this. I'm, I'm kind of still the newbie. So I'm just kind of like, Hey, here's the art. Yeah. <laughs> you guys do your with it. So, um, but yeah, they, they definitely know what they're doing because the machines come out just incredible. It's, yeah, and I think it's really been a thing over the last you know year and a half or so with Rush being one of the, the first ones that I've noticed it. Um, you know, you had a Mandalorian LE that came out, a Godzilla LE, and I didn't really notice that they had stepped up that kind of finish on, on like the texture of the graphic. And then I saw Rush and when I unboxed it in my in my house down here, that was the first time I saw like this, you know, kind of foil reflective embellishments on it, and you know the custom side armor there with the the, the steampunk you know look to the armor. Um, did you have any input on like those sorts of things, like the LE armor that's on the side, where it's like a guitar going no. into the gears, or was that a different department? Um, with as far as the art, uh, yes. I mean, we we kind of all throw ideas out. Uh, one of the coolest things about working with them, and it took me a while to realize this, was just how much uh, artistic freedom they give you, like to come up with stuff. Like they really are all about. If you think of it, throw it out there. Like every idea you can think of, because and that took me a while. I'm not really used to that. I'm used to working with a lot of t-shirt companies and places where they kind of just tell you everything to we're, throw in there. We're like they're micromanaging and, you and just you know putting the, yeah. the boundaries up, and you have to work within that. Yeah, with Stern, I mean, I remember when I was first working on that job, the first couple months, I remember the, you know, having a talk with Greg one time where he's like, listen, because I was kind of waiting for them to tell me what they wanted. And they're like, no, go, like, go nuts with this, like, come up with everything you can. So, um, but yeah, even down to like the side armor and that kind of stuff. I mean, we, I, I remember doing a couple different things that I threw over the fence to them and, uh, you know, they, they kind of narrow it down and come back with their ideas. And of course, John Borg is a, you know, he's a huge rush guy. So he's, he had all kinds of ideas too. That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he was, he was really good with that stuff. He'd send me, you know, links, YouTube links and all kinds of stuff. Hey, check this out and pay attention to this part and, you know, maybe look at this. And, you know, he, he was really into it. So. So it wasn't that, was that, kinda, that everybody was kind of like remote in their own silos and then, you know, this project just kind of gets stitched together at the end. Like, you know, there was kind of cross input between, you know, the artists and, and the other designers of the game. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a fun process. And it's, you know, I'm on the other side of the country, obviously, from where they're working on all this stuff. And, and we happen to be working on this during COVID. So mm-hmm. everyone was everyone was working from home anyway. So, you know, we would have like a weekly Zoom meeting, you know, and everyone would pull out their their little sketch pads and hold up you know hey this is what i'm thinking and uh yeah it's it's a really fun team effort you know those those guys are really good so i I kind of imagine that by the time you get involved as far as like working on the play field you know they've got themselves a whitewood right they've got their their game layout that they want the targets and everything they want you know and and then you kind of have to come in and 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 like how do you start that process of populating a play field with art you know do you do you have to do you look at the play field first then then start incorporating concepts or do you have an idea and then try to make it fit um kind of kind of both i mean they they've got the uh the wireframe you know the templates and that kind of stuff kind of like you said it's all kind of dialed in already so they send you basically this weird shaped blank canvas and then you know you just you kind of start with the focal point and work your way out from there you know and they've already got 
certain things in mind, you know, like we, we want to kind of have this here. Uh, we're going to do a time machine element and it's going to be right here. So maybe build out around that and then figure out how to blend certain sections of things together where it all looks seamless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like the other things. It, it's just a blank canvas and you start coming up with things based on where certain things have to go. And then you, put those in there and then you just kind of fill out the rest of it with, you know, either textures or elements or that seems a lot easier than trying to shoehorn a concept into somewhere, like just make it fit, right. <laughs> Beat it into submission. Um, cause yeah, yeah but exactly. by the time they bring it to you, I mean, they've got an idea of uh, what the modes of the game are going to be, what inserts are going to be lit up, but like the idea of the planets at the bottom, you know, like who came up with that? Did they come to you and say, we kind of want a, a planetary system down here, come up with something or, you know, I don't remember they... if they came up with that or if I just threw that in there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and there, you know, there's also the element too of you know following the direction of of the ball and the flow and coming out from the bottom center, you know, fanning out. And um, there are certain lanes and, and things in the in the game that you want to kind of have your art contour to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really just there's a lot of back and forth. I mean, <laughs> you'd be amazed at how many back and forth revisions there are. You know, yeah, where something looks good but maybe doesn't fit, or you know, this piece looks really good, but you know, in the end, it's going to get covered up by a toy or you know, or or a ramp or something like that. That's that's something that I'm still kind of getting used to. You know, mm-hmm. y- you know, you're you're working on the art as a stripped down flat piece and you, you kind of have to think ahead and look at some of the other uh, schematics and things that they send to you to kind of realize like, Oh, you won't even see this back here. So, yeah. So like, you know, what, what's your medium you're working in when you're sketching this stuff up? I mean, are you in like an AutoCAD file and, you know, adding your art there or do you have sketch pads and then get it all scanned in or how does that work? Um, I do have sketch pads for like the very, very early stuff, but I, I mean, I do everything in Photoshop. I use the paint brushes. I have a Wacom tablet. Um, even even a lot of the sketches are done just as quick, you know, Photoshop paintings, you know, little little drawings and stuff on there, and, and it, that makes it easy to just save it as a JPEG and shoot it over the fence to them. Um, and then yeah, all the way up through final artwork, I, I do everything in Photoshop. Yeah. Um, how often, or like like throughout the the course of this process, you know, how much do you have to travel to Chicago to meet in person with people with like you know reams <laughs> of things under your arm, or is this like all done completely remotely now? all remote i did happen to go there i'm i'm actually from ohio so i have a lot of family there in dayton so um shout out to dayton we shout out to dayton so we went to dayton to see everybody and i was like oh you know it's only about a five hour drive so and again this is during covid but uh we we went up there i drove up there to you know to meet everybody and of course half the people weren't there because they were working from home but uh you know greg gave me the big tour of the of the shop there and the I got to see how everything works and how everything was put together. And that was really cool. I mean, that was, I, I kind of felt like a, you know, I got to see kind of behind the curtain a little bit. And you I get to go in the chocolate factory. I, yeah. Yeah. And when I went there, they had, you know, they were right in the middle of working on a prototype, 
you know, of the rush game. So it wasn't complete, but I got to kind of see the bare bones of it and how it was coming together and stuff. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. Now when you're doing a play field, you know, a play field isn't a piece of art that you hang on the wall, except for, you know, some of the extra play fields I have on my walls, you know, but functionally when you're playing these things, I mean, they're laid out in front of the players. So do you have to take that perspective in, in mind when you're designing the drawings and everything and the art, you know, is there like forced perspective you're put in there because you're, you're viewing this at like a 45 degree angle or so. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that kind of goes back to like what I was saying before about like certain things are hidden behind other things that, you know, while you're working on it, you're assuming that you forget as you're painting it, that you're looking straight down on it, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's not. So, um, kind of, yeah. I mean, you do kind of want to use that perspective and kind of draw the eye back to certain, certain mechanics that are back there. You know, some of the toys and that kind of things or certain shots you're going after. Sure. Um, I gotta imagine it's gotta be interesting like the first time you see an actual populated play field with your art on it and, and then you look down and you're like, Oh man, I, I spent so much time sketching out this thing and I didn't like how it was coming out and now there's no way to even see it because there's a ramp sitting on top of it. You know, did you oh have my God. do you have like art that's hidden in there that you're like, I worked really hard on that, you can hardly see it. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think so on that one really, but I do remember the first time I saw like the completed game was when they revealed the video, that was the first time I saw it was when they first rolled out that, you know, promo video. And I was like, Oh my God, like it was, I couldn't, it was so cool looking. It was, I couldn't believe how awesome it looked. So I was <laughs> like, wow. So that, that is kind of like, you know, these games take a long time. I mean, I worked on that for over a year Yeah, and uh, you know, you get done and you do a piece by piece and then you work on the plastics and like, you, you know, you're doing everything in these little, you know, little project, little individual projects and, and shooting the, you know, the files over to them. And then you, then you just move on to the next thing. And then all of a sudden at the end when it's done and it's all put together and uh, you're looking at everything with the lights and everything, you're, you're just like, Whoa, that is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was great. I will never forget the first time I saw that video. I blown away. It was the coolest thing ever. So we hear this from, from actors and things too. Sometimes, you know, they're working on these films and these projects and these producers and everything. And then they say the first time we saw the completed cut was at the premiere. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I mean, you were working on this thing the whole time, but you know, there's so much that happens and then, you know, it all gets kind of squirreled away. And then, you know, like that last 5% of development is probably when like the most noticeable changes are happening when everything's getting integrated, you know? So yeah. Yeah. So the first time you saw it was um, just that video reveal. And then um, did they bring you out for like an unveiling? Do they do like a red carpet thing or, or like an industry party when these things are getting ready? Is there a launch party that Stern does where everybody uh, can get together and kind of celebrate their games coming out or no? Or does that just happen at Expo? I'm, yeah, I think they just kind of pick an event like that and roll them out. I, I didn't really go to anything for Rush. I kind of wish I had. I almost went to the texas pinball festival which I, I guess they did a big thing there with it and at the time you know that was the first game i had worked on and i was kind of like ah, i don't know like is it worth me going there i, I don't know maybe i'm going to just be like a one-off you know like i'm not really sure like i, I don't want to show up there like i'm you know this big new stern employee and then never work on anything again and then afterwards everyone's like you should have came you'd have loved it and you know so. hey i mean your first game out of the box game of the year man what kind of mic drop is that that was pretty cool i i will say the the one thing that i kind of came away from that game with i I mean i was super proud of it it is a blast to play it's fun um but i caught so much crap over those portraits on the play field and i (laughs) it, it it was hard because 
you put all this time and work and, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands of hours into like all these different back glasses and the, you know, cabinet art and plastics and you know, all these little details and all this stuff. And then of course, front and center are these portraits, which they had wanted to be like that. They, you know, that was a specific order was, you know, we want these to be these based off of these comic book characters. And I, I don't know if maybe they just assumed people would make that connection and know that that's what we were pulling from. I'm sure even the, the moderately diehard rush band fans probably got that. But like me, you know, I've been getting into the band, but I didn't know them on that intimate level. I don't own any rush comic books, for instance, you know? So right, when I yeah. saw that, it was like, you know, everything's kind of like steampunk and gears and everything. And then, you know, here's like three cartoon guys, <laughs> you know, from like a Hanna-Barbera yeah. cartoon or something. You know, but then yeah, I, I found out later on that this is like what was it the band that wanted this, or this was kind of art that they had already had. The band had wanted those, and I, I kind of thought when I was working on it, I remember thinking that the issue, if there, if there were any issues with it, it was going to be that the that the three guys were taken from different eras. It's more of a modern, you know, Getty Lee with the glasses and the little soul patch thing, and it was a really old school Neil uh, Neil, you know, and everyone's as soon as it came out, everyone's on. Neil looks like a magician and people were, <laughs> people were arguing with, you know, everybody over it. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, I, I don't know. That was, that was probably the hardest thing about that whole project. Cause I felt like after all that work, that was like the one thing everyone just laser focused on. But, you know, I mean, people were passionate about it. They, it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, rush is a pretty divisive band. I think in a lot of ways, it seems like a lot of people just kind of love them or hate them. Sure. You know? So I, I know a lot of people were kind of set out to hate it right out of the gate. Like they, they never were going to like it no matter what, just because, oh, God, Rush. I, I remember like, I didn't know any rumors that this game was coming out. And then I just like my first shot was the, the trailer when it dropped. And I was just like, you know, I had just been getting into Rush over the last year, you know, and like kind of appreciating them on, on, on an adult level, you know, not like, you know, when I was a teenager and they were on the classic rock station. It's like, how's his dad music? And then like that drops yeah. and it was like I I got to make this happen somehow and then and then I did one came available I got myself an LE with very low plays I had it for a year here in the game room and you know as I was playing it you know the 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 jarring effect of the the you know cartoon folks down there you know just kind of went away it just it blended in so yeah. you know I, I think it really you know it's what the the band wanted it comes from a place of rush you know so it wasn't that you know, somebody yeah. just kind of sketched something that didn't really care and threw it in there you know thought was behind everything. Yeah. Yeah, it, on one hand, it didn't bother me in some ways because I felt like that was the one piece of the entire art package that wasn't really my style. Like, mm -hmm. it was meant to take off of something else that existed. So on one hand, it was I could kind of blow it off and be like, yeah, you know, it's it wasn't, you know, that's the one part that's not really me, and that's the part everyone seems to have an issue <laughs> with, so, okay, well, that's I, fine. I but, hope that speaks to a brighter future for you, though, too, because, you know, the original art that you made, I love it. Especially, like, that premium, too, looks good. I would love to get that with, like, foil embellishments on it, you know? Um, yeah. Did you have a hand in making the banner? Um, actually, not really. Is, I, that, I, is it just cobbled you know, together when, from the work that's done and the layout artist does that? Yeah, they've got some people on staff there, I guess, that, that know Photoshop pretty well. When I'm done, I upload you know, these massive Photoshop files. I don't know if you've ever messed with Photoshop, but, you know, you work in layers and stuff. Some of these files have, you know, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 layers in them. They're a nightmare. I can't imagine dealing with someone else's files like that. <laughs> wow. but, yeah. It's one like, thing when, when you've you built it, you can understand the nuance of it, but try to dive into somebody yeah. else's. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I send the files off to them 
and uh, I try and simplify it down as much as I can and then send it off to them. And then, yeah, they've got people there that'll take those, those files apart and build, you know, banners and promotional stuff and, you know, set up every, you know, whatever they need from those files. And I always tell them, I'm like, I'm here if you need, you know, I don't mind if you guys need, <laughs> sure. <laughs> if I can save you guys some time, I could probably do it faster, but yeah, they, they take those and make the banners and stuff. Well, sir, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. So I hope yeah. we're going to see some more from you. I mean, are you one and done with pinball? Or you think there's a possibility that, you know, if, you know, the right offer were to come by, would we see something else from you from the pin world? Oh, you'll see more. Oh, <laughs> Trust me. oh secret knowledge. See- <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to need a street date. I'm going to need a theme. I need to know the designer. How many balls are in the machine, sir? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to press you for any of that. <laughs> but I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see what, what you have up next for us here. Oh, I am too. Believe me. I, <laughs> it's almost hard to sleep at night. I'm so excited. But yeah, you'll, you'll see more. All you'll right. see more. I want you to try to stay, do me a favor and stay warm this winter down there at your homestead there. I'm sure it's frigid, of course. Yeah, it's it's down to, I think, the mid-70s right now and, and sunny. So we'll, we'll, You might, you might have to wear back. thicker cargo shorts when you go get tacos then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. Michael Bernard, you are a gem. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Um, I really do appreciate it, and it was fun getting a chance to talk to you, buddy. All right, that brings us to the end of another episode, man. I want to thank Mike for joining. Welcome back anytime, sir. I hope you've got some new projects in the works. Come on, we'll talk about them as soon as you're able to have the embargo listed. If you want to get yourself a Venom, go ahead and holler at your boy Don, man. We got it ready to go. Don's Pinball Podcast at gmail.com is a great way to get a hold of me. Patreon members, Don Pinball Podcast at the Patreon backslash. Go check that out. Join the crew, man. We got mailings going out. I will be around. Hit me back with that outro music. I'm not done yet. I'll be at IAPA next week in Florida. If you're in the area, you want to meet up, hang out, play some games, invite me over, introduce me to your Aunt Sally, I am down for that, man. We'll be in Florida all week. I'll try to do some live streams from the show floor. Try to do. You know I'm going to do it. And then we'll do some episodes, too, later in the week. I've got some feelings that some more news is still going to be on the way. Spooky sending out stuff. It's crazy. Check out the live stream later.